as we begin a new series, Loving the Other, the blessing of living beyond ourselves, let's turn first to 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 11 and verse 19. And uh, it's an interesting passage to choose by beginning with the idea of loving God and, and what it means to love God. And so let's read God's Word, His inspired and inerrant Word. Let's pray first. Lord, we pray that uh, in the next several weeks you would open not only our minds, but our hearts to love and to your love and the difference that your love makes. We pray, Lord, that first of all, we thank you for your church. Even this morning, as we've worshipped you, I, I have felt so directed to you where our security lies, so filled with adoration of you. And, and thank you for your word now directing us to your love. And we pray, Lord, that we would be given the ability to see it, to realize it, and to walk in this love and love with your love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, do you know what the source of most people's problems when they come into a counselor, at least what they say the source is, uh, it's, it's, it's no secret. If you were to write down on a piece of paper, what this, other than sin or something like, you know, like a one-word answer like that, if you were to write down on a piece of paper, I bet you, uh, if you were to think it out, we, we could hold up our piece of paper, and I bet you a lot of us would have something very similar uh, written down. What, what it is that people say to counselors through tears and that really goes bump in the night for them. When people are hurting, so often when you get right down to it, what they express is that it's because of a lack of love. That is what they feel. That is what they express. And, and usually it's expressed something like this. Uh, that this particular person does not feel loved. Therefore, it's very hard for them to love. We understand this. And uh, one of the reasons that we don't give more love in our lives is because we say we don't receive enough love from a particular person. And if someone's not going to love us, it's hard for us to trust them. It's hard for us to give ourselves to them. And most of our problems, at least as we see them, are traced from the idea that we're kind of low on love. And therefore, we are low on our ability to love. But this is precisely the difference that God's love makes in our lives. You see, the, the good news this morning, literally the gospel, the good news this morning is that we, you don't have to, I don't have to be low on love. We don't have to live low on love. In fact, God is telling us in Christ that we can have the love that we desperately need. We can have the love that we most deeply yearn for and long for, and we can actually be full of love and therefore able to give love. That's a beautiful thing, isn't it? So let's read our text, and I want you to think about this love. 
1 John 4, 7 through 11, and then 19. Beloved, those who are loved, my friends, beloved, let us love one another because love comes from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and whoever loves knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. We love, verse 19, because He first loved us. Now, I realize, and the reason this is a strange passage to choose in one sense on beginning with loving God, I realize that the primary thrust of this passage is about loving other people, but I'm going to tell you something. This is an amazing passage about loving God and other people. Because this passage teaches us not only that we must love because God loved, but how it is that we can love because God loved. It's not just God loved, therefore do it, just do it, Nike. It's how it is that we can love because God loved. And I'd like for us to to think about three things. I want us to think about the idea that knowing leads to loving. Knowing leads to loving. Secondly is how we can know and therefore love. And thirdly is why Christians don't love. So the, the, the idea that is just so radical in this passage is that knowing leads to loving. Knowing leads to loving. Verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves God has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. You see, the interesting thing about love here is, it is that it is not simply a causal thing. God is love, God loved us, therefore you love. Like cogs, click, click, click. Now that is the big picture. That is the flow, don't get me wrong. But it is not the essence of how we love. It is not mechanical. What's beautiful about this is that this is relational and ongoing. And something that grows and something that blooms and and something that overflows The operative word here is know. Verse 7. Anyone who loves God has been born of God and he knows God. If you don't love, you, you don't know God because God is love. 
And, and you got to look at what that word no means. You see, in, in, in our culture, the word no simply means to kind of know about, right? Oh, yeah, I know that. I know that. Yeah, I know that. I know that. There are a million factoids heading toward us every day through all the portals of information. And any, even more than ever, we have less relationship and, and more of that kind of factoid knowing taking up the, the, the time and space of our minds and, and our days. Nothing wrong with facts. In fact, we're going to get to the facts about God's love in a minute. But this word for know is not to know about. This is the, the Greek word, comes from the word gnosko, and the word literally is gnoskai. And here's what it means. It doesn't mean to, mean to know about. It means to know experientially. Like to have a relationship. and Like you know somebody. Like you get to know them more and more. Like you say, do you know that person? Oh yeah, I know him. Do you really? Do you really? It says so-and-so, do you know? Oh yeah, he's a friend of mine. Is he really? Like a Facebook friend or a real friend? Like do you know him? Like you know something about him? You know where he's from? You know his birthday or her birthday? Or do you know them? You understand the difference? Gnosky, it means to know experientially. It means to know relationally. Knowing is relational experience with God. When we say we know God, we could be saying that we've understood the cross. And we're in. Therefore, we, quote, know God. That's not what's being talked about here. That's the beginning of what's being talked about here. Now, this is a really growing understanding of God and His love. And we know. This is to be able to continually receive love from God. Isn't that wonderful? I want you to think about this. Not just to recognize that God loved you. Yes, we'll get there. But to continually receive, I'm talking about today and tomorrow morning, God's love and to grow in God's love. Therefore, the ability to love. 1 John 1, 3 states the purpose of the entire book of 1 John. We've written, quote, so that... You too may have fellowship with us. That word's koinonia. It also means deep relationship, knowing, knowledge, out of experience kind of thing. It literally means togetherness. We've written so that you may, you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. He's saying, you know what? We, we write this so you, you can know us and, and we can have fellowship in Christ. But, and our fellowship is with the Father and our fellowship is with, is with the Son. And the purpose of the book is, is intimate relationship with God Himself through Christ. This is the love that we need the most. This is how we're going to not be low on love when we wake up every morning and lower on love by the time we go to bed at night. And so the key to receiving love that we need the most is to know God. I'll come back to that at the end. So how do we come to know? Now we get to the facts. How do we know? That's the second thing. You see, not only is the word for no 
different from our word that we usually use for no, but the word for love here is different than what we mean by love in our culture. The word for love here is the word, and and many, if not most of you, have heard this word, you've heard it preached on, and it should be. The word is agape. That's the word chosen for love. There are lots of words for love, and but but this is about agape love. Um, when we think of love in our culture, we think of a strong, positive feeling we have about somebody because of of who they are or what they've done. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't really like this person. Yeah, I love that person. We, we kind of consider that a strong feeling kind of based on how we feel about what that person is and what that person has done. Agape doesn't mean that at all. Agape means a choice to sacrifice for another person regardless of who they are. That's way different from, remember, I'm low on love, therefore I don't love. I feel like I don't get enough love, therefore I don't love. And my whole life is just kind of like court low on life. Now, agape is, is an other-centered love. Agape is a, it's called gift love. Agape is shorthand for God's love. Curtis Vaughn, who taught me Pauline epistles, said this, the, the word agape, which is the most common biblical word for love in the New Testament was practically unknown. Never read it, never heard it spoken. Practically unknown in classical ancient Greek. Okay, you kind of have classical Greek and you kind of have what's called Koine Greek. And then, and then you've got what, we, what we're calling biblical Greek, which is kind of out of the common Greek. But God in, in the scriptures kind of takes some words that, that are in the culture and he changes them to mean something exclusively Christian. Agape is one of the things. You never see the word agape in these classical Greek sources. One scholar says, there is no trace of it in any heathen writer. You can tell that was an older scholar. In any heathen writer whatsoever. Because this is a word about God's love. Verse 9. God is love. God showed us love. And this is how we can know. Because God is love. And God showed us love. Verse 9, anyone who does not love God, does, d- does not love, does not know God because God is love. God is agape. God is gift love. God is sacrifice love. God is other-centered love. You see, this isn't just saying God loves. It's a great thing to say somebody loves. It's a different thing to say that in his essence he is love nothing but love it's one of the attributes of his being and i quote and and love flows from him just as light radiates from the sun that's how much god's being is love. Love flows from him just as light radiates from the sun. God can't exist without loving. Love is never absent from God. 
Everything God does is loving. This is amazing. Remember, I'm a court law in love because I'm not sure I can... Someone didn't quite love me enough and I'm not sure I can love them. Let me tell you something. God always loves. So the first thing is, is, is we, can, we can know this because God always loves. And you say, well, but you, you need to know that. Well, yeah, we're going to know that because God showed it. That's the other part of this. God made his love visible to us. You want to hear the definition of love? Best definition of love in the whole world that's ever been stated is God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I mean, that's it. That's what love is. Uh, love is not complicated. Love is just difficult. Unless God's love begins to get a hold of us. Because we receive God's love and we begin to know God on a daily basis and that and his love begins to change us and and we're not a court low in love all the time in verses 9 and 10 talks about how this love is made visible through the father sending of his quote notice the words same as john three sixteen only son I- I- indicating just how how sacrificial this is that he's sacrificing his only son that he is indeed sacrificing his son and there's like a $10 word in here we'll get to propitiation in a minute you get to learn the meaning of propitiation in just a few moments get ready verse 9 and 10 in this the love of God was shown to us get it God is love and here's how we know in this the love of God was manifest made manifest among us That God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God. But he's loved us. All originates from the one who is love. Not that we've loved God, but he has loved us. And he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. For us. For sinners. He is the propitiation for our sins. You know, this is called loving the holy other. I'll never forget, I was just in shock the first time that I was learning about Martin Luther, the, the great reformer. And Martin Luther had this, this hang up. In fact, people thought he was kind of crazy because Martin Luther got a hold of the idea that God was transcendent above and beyond and he couldn't reach him, couldn't reach God. And that God, the other reason he was unreachable is because God was so utterly holy. And so Luther took the holiness of God so seriously that drove him crazy almost. I mean, there's stories about him spending six hours in the confessional booth. You know, he was a Catholic monk. And, you know, they're starting to wonder whether he's like trying not to scrub floors or something, you know, and just spend time talking in a booth. But no, he's not, he's not just trying to get out of scrubbing floors. He cannot get the holiness God out of his head. He cannot make it. He tries so hard. He says he's sorry. He tries so hard. He says he's sorry. And um, Johann von Stoppitz, who was his major teacher, basically says, do you, love, do you love God, Martin? He said, I hate him. I was shocked the first time I heard that, read that. I ha- do I love God? Luther says, I hate him. He's unreachable. He's too holy. This is not long before Johann von Staupitz. You ready for this? 
who was his teacher, literally resigned his own post to put Luther in his post to be the professor of New Testament just so Martin Luther would have to study the New Testament and teach it. And it is in that study of the New Testament that he comes upon this notion. Oh, I get it. God is holy. And that's why he sent his son and it's all done for us. And God is wrathful and, and the guilty will by no means go unpunished. That's why he punished his son in our place. And it's not by works and it's not by six hours in a booth. It is by faith alone. It is by simply receiving and believing the completed work of Jesus on our behalf. It is finished. It is propitiated. The word propitiated means to assuage, to quench the wrath of God. There is therefore now no condemnation for sinners. If we are in Christ Jesus, why? Because he's the propitiation. And this is love that God sent his only son, son to be a propitiation for our sin. That's love. You want to know whether God loves you? Look at the cross. I mean, this is an amazing thing. God is love. Everything he does is love. How do we know the cross? There is a tangible, touchable thing that happened. God's son was nailed to a literal rough Roman cross for me. So that I could, as he says, I could live. Jesus takes my sin. He takes my punishment. God's wrath is drained The holy other requires sacrifice for sin, right? Because he's holy. The holy other provides the sacrifice for all of our sins. Our love is a response to a definitive act of God. You know, you may may wake up some mornings from now and say, I'm just not sure God loves me anymore. Maybe God's not loving Maybe God's done me wrong. Look at the cross. God has manifest his love in this, that he sent his only son to be the propitiation for our sins. It's just gift. Love, remember? Gift, agape, sacrifice, gift, regardless. You know what the mystery of love is, right? The mystery of love is why? <laughs> why you? Why me? Answer, don't know. That's the mystery of love. God died for people who didn't deserve it. Just because he wanted you. And this is love. It is sheer gift. It is gift that you must put your trust in. It is gift that you can bank your life on and spend your life knowing this Savior and this love and, and learning and growing in this love. And then, not being a court low on love, being able to give love. There's a story from the 1850s in Virginia. It's apocryphal, I'm sure, about the son of a father who had grown up uh, on a farm, a plantation, and he was particularly close to uh, a, a, a girl who worked in the house, a, a slave girl that kind of was his childhood playmate, and his 
dad died when he was older, when he was, you know, in his, in his late teens, early 20s, his dad died. And here's the bad part. I mean, other than the fact that his dad died. His dad died and his dad was so in debt, it was ridiculous. And so all he ended up, he lost the entire farm. All he ended up with was the house and the slave girl that went with the house. She was in the house. People were considered property at that time. I know it's hard for us to believe now, but sinful as it was, it was true. Um, And then he had all these debts he needed to pay. And you know, he did the most astounding thing. First thing he did was go upstairs, sit down at his father's desk, and write out a, uh, a bill of freedom for that slave girl. A very sacrificial thing to do when you owe tons of money and you could have just sold her down the street. So he writes this out. He, he's going to take it to the courthouse the next day. And he goes downstairs and she's there. And, and he tells her, he says, Liza, I want you to listen to me. We've known each other for a long time. You know, you know that we grew up together. You know you mean a whole lot to me. Liza, you're free. She didn't quite understand what that is. What do you mean I'm free? This piece of paper right here, I'm not selling you. I'm giving you your freedom. You are free. And she is amazed. She said, you mean I'm free to, to do whatever I want to do? Free to do whatever you want to do. She says, you, you mean I, I'm free to be whatever I want to be now? She says, that's right. She says, I'm free to go anywhere I want to go. Is that what you're saying? He says, Liza, you are free to go anywhere you would like to go. And she just stared at him. And just stared at him. You know what she told him? Then I want to go with you. And she stayed with him the rest of her life. That's what it's like, in a way, way, for for Christ to set us free. This agape love. God is love. How do we know that? He sent His only Son. He sacrificed. This is ultimate sacrifice. And and we we see this and we grasp this. And we not only say, hey, I'm in. I, I trusted Jesus. Now I'm in. Now I know God categorically. No, we say, I want to go with you. I will never leave you. You are my life. I want to know you. It's a beautiful thing. So, knowing is loving. How it is that we know God is love. God's shown his love. We want to go with you. We want to know you. Therefore, we're going to be able to love. Thirdly is why we don't. I'm talking about why Christians don't love. The holy other has loved us. Should not Christians love well? You answer, yes, we should. <laughs> now, we live in a fallen world and we are selfish people. That's answer number one. But sometimes there is a subset of answer number one that simply goes like this. Even though we know God categorically, we don't necessarily receive love well from God on an ongoing basis. 
and we don't want to know God very well. The ability to love God, I go with you, and then others depends on our ability to receive love from God on this ongoing basis. And it requires an ongoing faith in what Christ has done, a response to that, and and open arms to God. While we're in the midst of a fallen world, to not take our eyes off of Jesus, to continually believe that all things work together to the good of those who what? Love God, who are the called according to His purpose. So it's an ongoing walk with God that we sometimes don't want. And, And this passage bears a lot of similarities with Ephesians 3, 16 through 19, which is, which is simply a prayer that Paul prayed for the Ephesian believers. And what is fascinating about this prayer is, like if you didn't know this was written to the Ephesian believers, you'd think he was praying for non-Christians. But he's not praying for non-Christians to come to know God. He's not praying for non-Christians to grasp the love of God and, and, and more and have more and more. And he's praying for Christians to walk with God and to hunger for God and, and, to, and to know God. And I want to read this to you. Ephesians three sixteen through 19. I pray that out of His glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being. I want that. Why? So that Christ may dwell, live in your hearts continually by faith. And I pray also that you, being rooted and established in his love, may have power together with all God's, the Lord's holy people, to do what? To grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of God and to know this love. You get it? To know this love that surpasses all knowledge in order that you may be filled up, not a court load, filled up with the measure of all the fullness of God. That's an amazing passage to people who already know God. Man, I read that at New Year and I say, that's, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be drafting off of Paul's prayer. You want to write it down? In Ephesians three sixteen through 19, all year. So, let me ask you this question. Where are you with God? I'm not simply asking whether you've believed. I'm not asking if you're saved at this moment. Where are you with God? Have you said to God, because of what I've done, I, I want to go with you in my life. Are you going with Him? Gnosko. You know, experiential, relational knowledge. Yes, through the Scriptures. Yes, through prayer. Yes, through the church. And yes, with God. Directly. Let me just end with one more illustration, okay? I was riding down the road and I thought of this. It's kind of crazy, but I'm going to give it a try. I want to compare all of this to a really wild ride at Six Flags. Like the Scream Machine. I did that. I was foolish enough to do that as a teenager. I think it's still there. I've never done it again. Okay, so you're on... They still have the screen machine? Do y'all know? Something like that? All right, y'all don't know. It used to be called the screen machine for a reason. 
So, you know when you get on the screen machine, <laughs> which is like a fallen world, <laughs> and life in a fallen world, y'all understand we are on this planet called the screen machine. <laughs> you get on the screen machine, you know that you're going to make it into the station okay. You know, you know the tracks are built well. You know that it's going to be okay, but you're going to have to go through a lot of loops and, and screams, basically. That's kind of like life. Um, but the ride can be really wild and jerky, you know, and terrifying. And then there's the picture. You know that picture that you didn't know they took? <laughs> right at the most terrifying point in the whole ride, you got a picture taken of you. And you, when you get down on the bottom, you get to find your picture of what you look like at a 10 on the screen machine of 1 to 10. <laughs> so, we know in this life we're going to make it safely home if we know Jesus, correct? We know that Jesus is with us, correct? We know that Jesus is love. And we know this because of what he's done and that there's, there's, he is a, he takes good care of us. He's not going to drop us. We can ride on the screen machine if we know Jesus. And it's going to be okay. So let's take the picture of where you are right now. Are you that person that's like, okay, you know, these people, these crazy people, their hands up when their picture gets taken? I know I'm not going to fall out. I know I'm going to make it safe. So I'm smiling and I'm okay. Are you one of these? <laughs> I had my picture taken. My face, I mean, it was bad enough right then. You know, I mean, how do you, how do you do life on the screen machine? How do you do life in a fallen world? I mean, is this the way you say, oh, I know God. Oh, I love God. But is this the way you do life? If you do life like this, you're not going to experience the love of God. See, if you think you can control your life and be disappointed at every bump and turn and and just be angry or be disillusioned all the time and feel like you can control it, forget it. Forget it. You, there's a reason you're court low on love. Because you don't do life like this without being a court low on love. If you go through life like that, you're missing a lot. We all do that. I mean, look, I'm not just saying, look, I'm like this and you're like that. I'm not saying that. You're missing the daily experience of God's securing love rooted in the gospel. You're missing the ability to trust Him and know Him deeply. You're missing the ability, the growing ability to receive His love while you're on the screen machine. And you can be freed up for this ride. And God wants you to do that. You know, God never withholds his love. Never. To his children. So you can love him without fear. You can trust him. And in this love, you can give yourself more fully than you have. Why? Because there's a cross that shows you that you can if you will only believe. So on the basis of the gospel, on the basis of knowing 
and how we know. Open your arms at New Year to the love of God. God, the Holy Other, has loved you and He loves you. He is love and He's shown it through the cross. Open your arms to Him and love Him back in an answering love with His love. And love other people because you are full of God's love. Let's pray. Lord, would you help us learn how to love agape, God's love, your love. Would you take us back to the idea that you are love and we can trust in everything you do. And also take us back to the fact that you have demonstrated that love and we can fasten our eyes on Jesus when we waver. Would you give us love in growing measure so that we might be able to love you and love other people in Jesus' name? Amen.